I often think that the 2,000 years that separates us from the first Easter uh, feels like a long time. And particularly, it can be hard to imagine what it would have been like to have been Jesus' followers on that first Easter morning when they discovered that he had risen from the dead. And it's easy to uh, forget that we know, even on Good Friday, we knew how the story was going to pan out. But they're in the story, and so they don't know. And um, one of the ways that I picture it, it's not a great picture, but one of the ways that I picture it is um, a number of years ago, there was a, a football match in the Champions League, Barcelona versus PSG. And for those who are not into football, the Champions League is like a knockout competition. It takes place over two legs, home and away. And Barcelona had lost the first leg 4-0, which meant they had to win the second leg by five goals in order to progress in this competition. And the match started, and it went pretty well for Barcelona. And by the time they got to sort of the 88th minute, they were 3-1 up. Now, 3-1 up is good, but it's not five-goal lead. So they, they were going to go out, 88th minute. Then Neymar, who was playing for Barcelona, he managed to get a free kick, and he scores this incredible free kick. Then three minutes later, he scored a penalty. And so it's all square. Then, in the 95th minute, the Barcelona goalkeeper ran into the opposition's half, and that's when you know it's desperate when the goalkeeper runs out, right? And the, the, he ran into the opposition's half. He was fouled, and so there was a free kick. Neymar takes this free kick, hoofs it towards the box. This other Barcelona player is there in the box, hammers it into the back of the net. And so Barcelona win 6-5. And what happened in the stadium when the final whistle was blown was it went ballistic. There, there were people jumping and shouting and screaming at the, at the top of their voices. Grown men were literally sobbing in each other's arms in tears. People were embracing people that they'd never met before. I read all these articles from journalists that were saying, even the hardened sports journalists, you know, the veterans who've seen it all, they were struggling to contain their emotions. 6-5, the greatest comeback in European kind of football history. Within two hours, 1.9 million tweets were issued about this incredible turnaround, this amazing event. And, uh, and I wonder if, in the years that passed since that victory, uh, the people that were there in the stadium at the time, I wonder if they ever tried to express the emotion that they felt in that particular moment. Why would they feel it so, so why would it be such a deep thing? Because they were 4 0 down. Because there was no way back. Because the odds against it were so great. And then it happened. Now, the disciples on that first Easter Sunday, we have to understand that Jesus is dead. He's been crucified. This isn't like the final minute of extra time. He's already dead. The, the, the final whistle has been blown. And they've lost. And they've had to, they've had to process that. They've had to remember the fact that they were, uh, you know, they'd walked with him uh, all over the hills of Galilee and seen him do miracles. They, they, they'd seen him calm a storm with a single word. They'd hoped that he was, they'd known that he was the Messiah who was going to turn it all around. And then suddenly he's no more. Suddenly he's gone. 
They took his body from the cross and they had to unpin it from the nails. His eyes would have been vacant and staring. He was limp and lifeless. This hollow shell of someone that they used to know. They wrapped him up in the grave cloth and then they put him in a tomb. The equivalent of putting him in a coffin and burying him under the ground uh, for, for us. And then they went away from his broken body with broken hearts and broken dreams and broken hopes. And they were, they were in despair, four nil down. The whistle's gone, you've lost. And so what must it have been like for them that first Easter morning? You know, when, when the women went to the tomb, we had the scripture read at the start of the service, and, and there were angels there, and the stone was gone. How, you know, it just imagine what it would have been like for them when they met him for themselves, when they saw him and they held him, and uh, the, the, the turnaround that they experienced. And I don't know, but I wonder if after Jesus had appeared to them, because he does that quite a lot, and then he returns to heaven. I wonder if in the time while they're waiting for the Spirit to come, they would have sat around and just, and just reminisced, a bit like we can do after a really special day or a special holiday or something. About this time last year, my brother got married. And uh, the wedding was incredible, mainly because they provided professional childcare. And that, for me, was probably the highlight. My brother getting married, probably second to it. But um, we went through this whole wedding day, and then uh, afterwards, those, those who are part of my immediate family, we went back to my mom and dad's house, obviously not with my brother, but the rest of us, and we just all crammed into the front room in my mom and dad's house. We opened a bottle of wine, and we just shat, we sat around sh sharing stories. Um, do you remember the dress when she came in? Do you remember the look on Paul's face when he saw her for the first time? Do you remember that moment in the speech? Do you remember this? Do you, we savored it. And I kind of imagine those who were there at the resurrection appearances of Jesus sitting around together doing something similar to that. Hey, do you remember when that bit happened? Do you remember when he appeared to you? Do you remember your reaction? Do you remember the look on your face when this went on? Do you remember those words that he said? And as they told their stories to one another, it's like the reality of what happened hit them in a new way. He's alive. We believe he's alive. And for us, as his people, isn't it so easy to forget that truth? Because we go through our weeks just trying to pay our bills, and our minds get filled with so much stuff. And every now and then, and particularly this morning, isn't it good to just pause and just come back to these stories again? We believe he's alive. What would they have said to each other? As, as, they, you know, as I imagine it, sitting in that room, what stories, what moments would they have picked upon? Here's one that I wonder if they'd have said. Um, some of the women might have told this story. That, uh, this is Matthew 28, verse 5. The angel said to the women, this is just outside the tomb on Easter morning, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. This has happened just as he said. You know, he said this was going to happen. Um, back in 2012, we held the Olympics, and it was ages ago now, but I still really remember it. And I remember getting into all these sports that I'm not sure could be classified as sports, technically. Curling, okay. Um, but there's all these different ones, and one of them was sailing. And we were pretty good at sailing for some reason I don't understand. And our, our, our kind of champion sailor was this guy called Ben Ainsley. I don't know if anyone remembers him, but he was one of our big medal hopes. And I remember watching sailing one afternoon, 
And Ben Ainsley was competing in this, this race that took place over a period of days. And it was the second off last race. And um, his two main rivals sort of um, cut him out of the race. They were a little bit naughty, really. And they worked together against him and cut him out of the race. And they really annoyed him. And I remember it because after he got out of his boat, he parked his boat. I don't know if that's the technical term. But he parked it on the shore. And he came up to talk to a camera person who was there, a reporter. And his, his opening line was, I'm angry. I'm angry. They shouldn't have done that. They should not have done that. They've made me angry. The gloves are off. And the, the, the headline on the BBC later that night when it was talking about the Olympics is, Ben Ainsley is angry. And I think as British people, we all kind of loved it because we don't normally do that. So that's not really a very British thing to say. We'd be like, I apologize to you that you got in my way and cheated. Would be a more British response. But he's like, no, the gloves are off. Anyway, the next day, the final race took place. And Ben Ainsley was way back in the line. But somehow, he worked his Ben Ainsley sailing magic, and he managed to weave between all these different boats. And finally, just as he was getting towards the finish line, he pipped the, the people who'd overtaken him the day before, and he won gold. And so he became the Olympic champion. He was the most decorated Olympic sailor in history. The queen was like, I love you, Ben Ainsley, and she knighted him. So he's now Sir Ben Ainsley. And uh, we were all like, yeah, that's what happens when you make him angry, right? It's your fault, rival people. The gloves came off, and you've only got yourselves to blame for that. Um, we loved it, and, and what I thought was brilliant about it, and the reason I love that story, is because he went off the next day and he won. Now, if he'd just come out and said, hey, you should not have made me angry, and then just lost, we wouldn't be talking about this. But he said, don't make me angry, the gloves are off. And then he went, and with his actions, backed up his words. Now, Jesus just makes these astonishing claims about himself. He can forgive sin. That, that, that if we believe in him, we will live even though we die. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. He makes these claims for himself. And then what he does in the resurrection, because anyone can say things, but then what he does in the resurrection is he backs up his act because he said, I will die, and three days later, I will come alive again. I will be raised to life. It happened. They must have looked at each other as they sat in the living room talking about it and said, just as he said it would. And I wonder if, as, as they were having this conversation, whether they got to the point where they said, but that must mean all the other stuff he said is true as well. I wonder if they got to the point where they were like, but that means these other things that we've been meditating on, they're true as well, and it's true today. So when he says to us today, I chose you, I chose you, and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, it happens just as he says. When he says to us today, if you're weary if your soul feels gray with sorrow and life, just as the joy has just disappeared, you can come to me. And if you come to me, you'll find rest for your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what we find is as we live it, it happens because it always happens just as he says it is. Just as he says it will. While they're sharing their stories, uh, I wonder if they started to talk about the, the things that he did when he came back to life. 
and uh, whether one of them mentioned, hey, do you remember that time we were on Galilee and we'd been fishing the whole night and we hadn't caught anything and we were tired and we were freezing and we saw, we didn't recognize him, but we saw a guy on the shore who said, chuck your net on the other side and we did it and then we caught all the fish. Do you remember that? And then how we dragged the fish in and then we went on shore and do you remember what he did next? And this is what we're told in John 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. What does this say to us? Um, Jesus has just been proven right. It happened just as he said it was going to. Have you ever had an experience where you've been proven right? What did you do when that happened? Um, Beth really likes Ikea. And occasionally we will have to go there and buy furniture. And if I'm ever in a position to remarket Ikea, I will probably put something like, Ikea, how to build furniture and destroy your marriage. Because Ikea, the wonderful everyday, right? Because that's kind of what it's like for us. I don't know if you've ever put flat pack furniture together with another person, but it can be very painful. And we had this experience a little while back where we had to build a wardrobe. And before we built it, we had a debate. Do we build it upright or do we build it lying on the ground and then lift it upright? And of course, the debate is around how high is the ceiling? Is the ceiling high enough that we could build it flat on the ground and then raise it? And we were trying to, we were on two sides of this argument. Beth said, no, we need to build it upright. I said, no, I'm pretty sure it's going to fit. Let's build it flat on the ground. So um, I persuaded her to do that. And we spent about an hour and a half building this wardrobe flat on the ground. And then came the moment of truth. We raised this wardrobe up to see if it will go against the wall. And it's so close, but it starts to scrape the ceiling and it will not go any further. At which point my wife gives me a look that if it could kill, I would not be here now. She, she looks at me like that. And then I'm like, oh no, I've lost this one. And then I noticed that the, uh, the wardrobe, we had built it on the box that it came in. So there was like three millimeters of cardboard at the bottom. And I said, hang on a second. Let's just take this cardboard out and let's see. So we pulled this cardboard out. And then would you believe it? It fitted like a glove, All right? For the first time in the history of my marriage, I was right. And what do you think I did in that moment? I'm still talking about it, it's five years later, right? I'm telling you, and I'm loving it, right? And I strutted like a peacock, of course I did, because I have been proven right. And that's what we can be like. Jesus has just been proven right. Those Jewish leaders, they said, you're not who you say you are. Those Roman soldiers, they put him to death. Those disciples, they ran away in his hour of need. He's been proven right on, on, the, on the most universal scale. And what does he do? Does he strut? Like a peacock? No. He cooks some bacon and egg. You know, he makes some fish and bread. He says, hey, you look tired and hungry and cold. You've been out all night catching absolutely nothing at all. Well, come and have some breakfast with me. He, he's so kind. You know, I wonder if the, as they told the stories, it just it staggered them again that even though they left him in his suffering, when he came into his glory, he didn't abandon them. 
And that's what we would do if someone kicks us when we're down and then finally it all turns around, we become a millionaire or whatever. We're like, well, you kick me when I'm down. You know what? I don't want to know you. Even though they left him at his lowest moment, at his greatest point, he came towards them to serve them and to be kind. Do you imagine them sitting there just saying, hey, he is so generous of heart. He's so compassionate. As they told the stories to each other in this little room that I'm imagining, I bet at some stage one of them said, hey, do you remember... Do you remember what he showed us when he turned up? And they told this story, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After that, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now the reality is, lots of us, not all of us, but lots of us are struggling with different things at the moment. Some of that is with our mental health, and that's really painful. Some of it is with physical health. Some of it is because we've got people we love in our lives, and things are not going well for them at the moment. We've probably all, in some way, got something we've been struggling with in the last little while. Jesus appears to them, and he shows them his hands and his side. Uh, a friend of mine was diagnosed recently with skin cancer. And he was scheduled to have surgery on his face, which was where the skin cancer was. And they told him, we don't know how much of your flesh we will need to remove during this operation. Um, we'll only know once we've started it. So he was, he was basically left in the dark as to what he was going to end up looking like after this operation took place. And obviously he was like, you know what, my life is the most important thing. But he was, he was, he was really worried. He felt totally out of control. And he told me about a time where he just, um, one morning, he sort of half awoke. He was half between being asleep and being awake. Um, and he had this vision or this dream of Jesus in that moment. And in the dream, he was just sort of like rubbing his, his scar on his face. Uh, and Jesus appeared to him. And he said, Jesus just held his hands out to me. And he just said, I've got scars too. That's all he said. Not in a way that was like, you call that a scar, this is a scar, you know? It wasn't that. It was like a friend. I know what you're going through. I understand. And our scars will never compare to his. But isn't it, isn't it incredible, isn't it fascinating that in a resurrected body, he kept the scars? What does that say? I think it's his way of saying, I understand the loss that you have experienced. I know the pain. I know what it's like to feel out of control. I understand what it is like to have people you love betray you. I, I know what it's like to, to lose people you love and not have the answers as to why that has happened. I died with the question, why have you forsaken me on my lips? You know, I, I know what it's like to feel like God has separated himself from you for a moment. I understand pain, not because I understand all things because I'm God, but because I've experienced it from the inside. I know what it's like to suffer. This is the resurrected Jesus who says this to us. And perhaps it's his compassion that, that means the experiences he, he's gone through, that means he's always able to meet us wherever we're at and whatever our pain is with love and with mercy. 
never with, with kind of self-righteous judgment. You're struggling with that. It's never that with him. Look at the resurrection stories. Like there's Mary looking for a corpse in a tomb and she meets Jesus who calls her name in a garden. He gives her what she needs. There's the disciples locked in this room out of fear. He breaks into the room and speaks peace in the middle of fear. There's Thomas. I'll never believe a word of it. And Jesus appears to him and says, here we go, Tom. Like have a look at the scars. He gives him such a revelation of himself in his doubt, that Thomas ends up shouting out, you are the Lord, you are God. There's the disciples on the road to Emmaus, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, totally the wrong direction. Jesus comes up alongside them and walks with them in the wrong direction until the penny drops that that's who he is, at which point they turn around and they run back to him. So whether they're in a garden or on a road, whether they're locked in a room or they're just locked in doubt, the risen Jesus comes to them with his scars, with his wounds, and he, fill, he meets them with his compassion. And he does the same for us today. Whatever pain you are in, however lost we may feel, he's here for us because he's alive today. He has wounds that he's experienced, so he knows how to minister to the wounds that we experience too. As they sat around having this conversation, and I finished with this one, right? At some point, I don't know if this happened or not, but at some point, I imagine, if I had been there, they would have said, uh, hey, isn't it mad that one day we are gonna be like him? Do you think they would have talked about that? At some point, we're going to be like him. That's what they, he's a picture of our future. Um, a while back, I, I was giving a talk at university, and the title of the talk was, What is Heaven? And I remember being in this town earlier on, uh, I had a few hours to kill, and I thought, I was in the coffee shop trying to get ready, and I thought, I'm just going to go around, and I'm going to ask people, what is heaven? What do they think? I'm going to pretend I'm doing a survey. So I went up to the lady behind the uh, checkout and I said, um, excuse me, I'm just doing a survey on what people think heaven is. What do you think heaven is? And she said, anywhere away from here. Um, and I remember chatting to this other guy. He was like, oh, it's Liverpool beating Man United 2-0. Um, I went up to this bunch of people that were Christians who I didn't know it. And I said, excuse me, I'm just asking what heaven is. And it's like their eyes lit up and they were like, whoa, sit down. We'll tell you all about it, right? And so I was oh, no, I already know. I already know. Thank you. And, uh, but most people that I talked to, they said, oh, it's kind of like, you know, it's like this long holiday where you just get to be with all the people that you love, all your friends and all your family. That's kind of what heaven is. That was the general kind of consensus for most people. And I remember thinking afterwards, gosh, that is nice. But what exactly are you basing that on? That's a lovely idea. I hope, you know, like, but, but what's that based on? It might make us feel better, but... What's the evidence for that? And for, for, for those of us who follow Jesus, the question of what comes next is answered in the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus that took place 2,000 years ago. He is for us a picture of our future. And um, we can think, we can make the mistake of thinking that we are living in the land, we're in the land of the living and everybody's journeying towards the land of the dying. That's how our world can think of it. 
remember a little while back I was with Beth in Rome on holiday. And um, I went wandering off early one morning to see what I could find. And I found this doorway with a set of steps leading down. I thought, this looks interesting. So I wandered down. And I found myself in a crypt. And you could pay two euros to just go and wander around it. So I did. So I put my coin in there, little pot. And I walked into the first room. And it was floor to ceiling skulls. Human skulls just stacked on every single wall. They're big black eyes staring at me. And, um, and I carried on walking, and, th- and there was room after room of this. They had light fixtures. It was just the weirdest thing. They had light fixtures that were made out of human body parts, like human bones and stuff. And then you get to the final room, and there was this, this human skeleton there. Real. This isn't like a waxwork. It's an actual human skeleton there. And it's got like a scythe in one hand, dressed up like the Grim Reaper. And there was this inscription beneath it, and it said, What you are now. We used to be. And then it said, what we are now, soon you will be. And I remember thinking, this is intense for a holiday, right? (laughs) I should have just gone and got some gelato. Like, why am I here? And I left very quickly. Um, But that's how we think it works. That's the future. You know, we'll be like that one day. But, But that's not it. There's a lady called Ruth Graham, who is the wife of Billy Graham. And I remember hearing a story about how she came home one day, having been stuck in roadworks on, uh, on a freeway in America. She came home one day, and she said to Billy, I've just seen what I want to have written on my gravestone. And Billy said, what was it? And it was inspired by uh, a road sign that she'd seen when the roadworks came to an end. And it said, construction at an end. Thank you for your patience. And so that's what she has. Ruth Graham, construction at an end. Thank you for your patience. She understood the truth. She understood that Jesus, the risen Jesus, is a picture of our future. She gets it. And the truth is this. It's not that we are in the land of the living on our way to the land of the dying. It's that we are in the land of the dying and we are on our way to the land of the living. That those of us who've come to know the risen Savior, we journey not towards a sunset, but towards a sunrise. This is our future. This is our hope. And this is what our church, the church, the family that we have been part of for however long you've been here, three weeks, three years, the the, the great family of God that stretches back 2,000 years to these first believers sitting, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, even as we do here this morning. This family has held on to this truth and it has kept them going as they fought battles they'd rather not have to fight. And as they've suffered through things they really would rather not have to suffer through. And as they've journeyed through sickness and pain and misery sometimes, they have clung on to the fact that he, Jesus Christ, is a picture of our future. That we have ahead of us wholeness, peace, life. That whatever this world throws at us, nothing, nothing can take us from his scarred hand. He paid for us on the cross with his own life. We now belong to him. And that means eternity, the eternal life given to us in the Son of God, that belongs to us. This is our future. Jesus is alive. And let me just say as I finish this, that will keep us going. Because if you ever go through a Monday, I really do finish with this. If you ever go through a Monday that's hard, you know, where it's raining and it's gray and it's like, I thought spring started, but it stopped. And, you know, why is it so cold? And and it's hard at work and things are difficult. What can keep you going sometimes is knowing 
when I get home, there'll be a fire on or something, or there'll be a good meal, or there'll be people that I love. And that keeps me going through what I'm going through right now. And for us, that truth, let's keep it front and center. Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.